Uh, just so you know, I will be paying rent, not a freeloader. And here's me thinking you'd be paying her in kind. <sighs> What's changed? This morning it were all over and now it's a permanent fixture. I, I'm, I'm sorry to drop it on you like this, and I, I know it's all been a bit quick, but I've decided I'm going to stop worrying and start living. Hey, up. I mean, someone's been ODing on the inspirational podcasts. Yeah, I mean, why should I care what people think? The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 191 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that fondly remembers playing all around the Milky Way and a lesson-known sequels, all around the Milky Way Black Ops, all around the Milky Way Vice City, and even watched the spin-off movie, all around the Milky Way Age of Ultron. But it was shite. I'm Gavin. And I thought it deserved an Oscar. <laughs> you did, though. I did. Fangirl. I am. I'm such oh. a fangirl of Milky Way movies. Your bedroom as a girl was... <laughs> Was bestooned, is that a word? <laughs> bestooned with all around the Milky Way posters. That's true. <clears throat> it's very true. And amongst, you know, Star Wars and Tank Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tank Girl is not what I'm thinking it is. <laughs> Probably not. So, unless you're thinking, let's move on. Unless you're thinking of kangaroos. Are you thinking of kangaroos? No. Anthropomorphic kangaroos? No. Okay. How are you today? <laughs> I'm cold. That's cold, isn't it? It was negative two this morning. Negative two in Fahrenheit. Yes. But at least we're not getting a blizzard. So, negative two small favors. Fahrenheit is, I think... Like 13? No, negative, negative 20. 13. Negative, negative 20, 20 something. And I know, we figured this out like two days ago. And it was negative two. And Benny was refusing to wear a coat. Because he's 15. It is a strange kind of cold, though. And it's a different kind of cold to the cold that you experience in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like the heat's a different kind of heat. Yes. To do with the humidity and all that sort of stuff. So, right. where I've seen me walk Because out, we're not on an island. <laughs> right. I've seen me... We're in a peninsula, which is three quarters of an island. Yes. I've seen me walk out and take the dog... And just wear my hoodie mm-hmm. and just my, my sneakers. Uh-huh. And it's like nine Fahrenheit. Uh-huh. And not felt it as cold as it was if it was negative two in the UK. Right. It's a weird, yeah. it's a weird phenomenon. Also, you're moving. <clears throat> and also, you know, you're a grown man. No, I'm a grown man. Yes. I can make up my own mind. Yeah. yeah. When you let me. Yeah. <laughs> you also have... You also have built-in layers. <laughs> One or two. One or two. <laughs> no, and but that it helps. still is a different kind of cold. Yeah, it's it is a it is it it feels like a damper kind of cold. See, I think it's a damper kind of cold in the UK because it really gets to your bones. It sinks into your bones. See, I feel this in my bones too. Really. But you, but you're right. It's like it's like the cold in um say like Colorado. Is much different than the cold here. 
it can be the same temperature in Colorado and here, and it will feel much colder here than in Colorado because Colorado is a drier state and it has less atmosphere because it's higher up. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. I know. <laughs> well, thanks for joining Join us, us on our... Our, our, our all around the Milky Way science <laughs> podcast. <laughs> With added weather. Well, there's weather in the Milky Way because we are in the Milky Way. We are part of the Milky Way. So everything that happens on Earth happens in the Milky Way. I would say if you were to to measure the areas in the Milky Way where there is weather and divide it by the areas of the Milky Way where there is no weather, it'd be pretty much zero. I mean, they even get storms on Jupiter, so. This is true. Mm-hmm. Mostly space, though. Anyway. That's true. Did we establish how you are? You're cold. <laughs> I'm cold. How are you? I'm also cold. <laughs> Shall we talk about weather again? No. Let's not. I'll tell you what, we've only been going for four minutes, but why don't we just jump straight into that meteorological Corrie news? <laughs> oh no, shall we piano, my dear? Yes, please. There we go, now we can do it. <laughs> I'm all topsy-turvy this morning. You are. My throat's kind of sore. This, this might be interesting. Is that part of Corey News? <laughs> this week on Corey News, Gav's throat sore. News at 11. Well, news now. Does he have COVID or not? Who knows? Uh-oh. See, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was really concerned because Benny didn't drink his mint tea last night. And I said, oh, you didn't drink your tea. And he's like, yeah, it tastes weird. And immediately I'm like, uh-oh. But he said it tasted bitter. And I think maybe I didn't put enough honey in. Uh-huh. So... Thank God it's just a lack of honey news. and not COVID. You started it. Are you going to open you that? You should start. Are you going to open that ginger ale? Later. You could have like the crack. Cory News. <laughs> changes are happening on Cory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coronation Street and um, Emmerdale. Well remembered. Thank you. I always get those E1s mixed up, are both moving to different time slots and different formats. Corey, in March, will go to three one-hour episodes instead of all these, you know, half-hour episodes-ish. Yeah. So it will be... It makes sense, I think. I don't Uh, mind it. I don't mind it. But then again... I watch all of Corey on Friday, so it doesn't really matter to me right. when it when it comes on. And that that kind of seems to be, you know, their reasoning that, you know, most people watch it in their own time. I don't think although that's true, I don't think most people watch it in their own time. Well, that's what the ITV heads said that most people watch it in their own time. So. I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of people sit down at 7.30 on a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday and expect to see Coronation Street because that's where it's always been. It's sat in the schedule for for decades at that time. That's, that's true. And the British are not known for being receptive to change. No, no. <laughs> what it, it does address, I think, is that strange half hour between... The first episode at 7.30 to 8 o'clock, and then there's that 8 o'clock to 8.30 that's kind of empty. Right. And then they do the second episode, 8.30 to 9. Right. And that middle half hour tends to be 
two celebrities in a vintage car driving somewhere nice. Oh, so it's like it's like a, a Jerry Seinfeld's driving in cars with comedians to get coffee. But nowhere near as entertaining as that. Oh, gee, dear God. <laughs> right. Dear God. Or Paul O'Grady uh, going in and looking at sick dogs. <laughs> so it's a, it's a strange kind of half hour that under normal circumstances... I'm sorry, it's not that I find sick dogs funny. I, I just find looking at sick dogs funny. I don't think this would normally be TV. Or if it was TV, it would be something beyond in the afternoon. Cause it, right, it's, yeah, it's, it's it feels nothing, very afternoony. It's nothing television, but it fills half an hour. Right. Because for some reason there had to be half an hour between the two episodes. That doesn't make, doesn't any, make sense. any sense. So putting it all together into one episode is kind of what they do on a Friday normally. Right. I'm all for it. Yeah. But it's that shift from 7.30 to 8 o'clock that You just think people are just going to freak out about... Well, I'm kind of freaking out about it, and it really doesn't affect me, because no. when I'm watching it, if I'm watching it live, I'm watching it at 2.30 in the afternoon. Right. So it really doesn't affect me. No. But are you worried there's about something all the... about 7.30 on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that's Coronation Street time, and that's not going to be the case. It's going to be... Emmerdale time now. See, starting something on a half hour just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, maybe if you'd lived with it for 60 years. Well, maybe that. Maybe I don't know, that. it's like you have your dinner and you, have, you sit down and you have a wee cup of tea and, I don't know, mainline some drugs or whatever, and then you get to, <laughs> you get to 7.30 and now it's Corey time. There's a lot of speculation that this might be the death knell for um, EastEnders. Well, this is the, the chat is, is this a aggressive schedule change to put because there's been a kind of gentleman's agreement right over years that it's in nobody's interest for eastenders and cory to clash because a lot right. of people who watch cory will watch eastenders right it's the same kind of demographic the soap audience just right like their soaps right so it's in nobody's interest for these two to clash so they kind of avoid each other historically mm-hmm. this now tears up that agreement yeah because EastEnders will be up against either Emmerdale, which is on a bit of a resurgence at the moment, right, or Coronation Street. And EastEnders isn't having the best of times, apparently. I haven't watched it in years, but their numbers aren't great. That's that's yeah, that's that's what I've read. But again, you can watch EastEnders anytime. You don't have to. You can watch it after you watch Coronation. You Street. can watch it anytime, and the BBC iPlayer is a much better platform. To watch programs on the ITV Hub is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. ITV Hub is... Crap. It's too clicky. You have to click too many places to get what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And it buffers quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Anyway. Anyway. What were we talking about? The weather. (laughs) Yeah. So that's really the huge news this week. Yeah. Not insignificant, I would say. Not insignificant. Not at all. I don't think I watch any appointment television anymore. I no, don't I don't. Think I, I don't think I ever, like, oh, such and such is on. I must watch it. I mean, the Oscars and the Super Bowl, I think that's about it for me. I haven't me watched as far any as... football this year at all, so I don't even know who's in it. Really? You didn't watch the exciting... There were, like, two... I didn't watch them, but Twitter was all ablaze at how Tom Brady was taken down and how the Buffalo Bills were... Anyway, Whatever. that's not what this podcast is about. I remember <laughs> when I moved over here, I, I, I tried to make a thing of picking a show like Lost 
which had finished long before I moved over, but that we would sit down and watch on a Monday night or a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And mine was Blind Spot. Remember Blind Spot? Oh God, that show was awful. <laughs> I loved it. It was the lady with all the tattoos. Yes, that oh, and Designated and then, Survivor, and right. they cancelled both of them. So I'm like, fuck it, I don't care anymore. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I rem- remember that. Remember that awful time travel show. And then there was, and then there was that show with the guy from. Um, Please let's get through recording. <laughs> from the guy, the guy from Breaking Bad, the really good guy who's also in the Mandalorian, which you don't watch, so that doesn't help you. Oh, what was that? Oh no, it was the time travel show. Never mind. Moving forward. Ironic. <laughs> One thing that won't change is seeing Ken and Kev on the street as William Roach and Michael Lavelle have both renewed their contracts for another year. So they are not going anywhere and Bill Roach will never retire. They're going to have to like, he'll die on the set. (laughs) Essentially. You know, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be well into his nineties before they they pry Coronation Street from his cold, dead hands. What surprises me is they're just one-year contracts. I thought Ken, by this point, would be just keep on turning up every now and again. I think before COVID, that was the case. I think everybody's kind of on a yearly contract thing until this pandemic is completely over because so much shit can change from a yearly base, from a yearly to yearly basis and stuff. Right. I mean, look how long uh, Jack P. Shepard was gone. While he was out sick, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you felt that loss because Shona was doing everything <laughs> Wait, badly. <laughs> oh, well, she's meant to with the stomach injury that she's got in her brain. Yeah. Yes, her stomach injury in her brain. Yes. And finally, speaking of things that are not done well on Corey, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> I guess we're back. We aren't the only ones rolling our eyes at at bits of Corey, especially when it comes to the Emma and Faye and dead Ted storyline. On Tuesdays this morning, Philip Schofield said what we were all saying. That looks nothing like Emma, as far as the EFIT was concerned, which is interesting because that wasn't even revealed on Mondays, was it? It was... No, they they leaked it in in a preview. Yeah, and the one that they showed on on. Um, this morning was on a phone yeah. and in the EFIT she's black and on the one that we saw on the show there was no color it was just a line drawing yeah, I think, I think the, it's interesting the, that they took that, that out post. yeah yeah, that must have been an interesting conversation somewhere with someone mm-hmm. it did look nothing like Emma it didn't look like anything human <laughs> It's wearing a hat. Emma wears a hat. That must be Emma. And Emma's wearing a hat today. What? <laughs> it's a different hat, though. Because Faye Same made color. her get rid of that hat, remember? Same color. Because Faye's evil. And that's Corey News. Well, an Faye extended Corey News, but we did have an awful lot to talk about. What do we do now? Oh, let's will podcast for coffee. Where's the, the ding? Thing. Where's our ding? Gav, have you been monkeying around with things again? Yes, because I was moving. This is a new box. 
And so I was moving all the clips into the new box. And World Podcast for Coffee must be an earlier version. Yeah. Which now makes me worry about everything else. I'll try and get the ting back because I miss the ting. I miss the ting. The ting is... It's a resolution. The ting sells it. Right. Anyway. These coffees are on us this week, which is fine. I can't remember the last time that that happened. It seems like it was a while ago. Certainly not this year. So if you want to rectify that and if you want to... You know, if you appreciate what we do and think that it's maybe worth a couple of bucks, mm-hmm. then by all means, you can buy us a, a cup of coffee for next week by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative if yes. you do. You can leave a little message and we'll probably read it out. Yes. If that has any value. And it 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 might. <laughs> then you heard it here first. <laughs> now let's go on to YouTube's. I don't understand this music. It's the end of the film Pick a Year in the 90s. 90, the 1990s. 94? So there would be a show on BBC called Film 94. Uh-huh. Hosted by Barry Norman. Okay. Latterly hosted by Jonathan Ross, who would go through the, the week's movies and review them. Oh. And the end of that tune would sound like that. And what does that have to do with our YouTube channel? Because it's video. Sure. But I've, it was piano, so I've changed it into something more kind of space age because it's new and fancy and streaming, right? That's the thinking behind it. Okay. You, you've been rolling your eyes at this section for three weeks. <clears throat> this is our new section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. We haven't done our trailer yet. No. In addition to our normal podcast and stuff, because every week the podcast gets posted there with some nice little story cards that I manufacture on Photoshop. Very lovely. So this week we've added the Blanche's best bits from 1999. This is Deirdre's mum, Blanche, who was, for me, a firm Mm favourite. An older character who speaks her mind, damn it, and speaks her mind to people who don't want her to speak her mind. Mm. She's a cantankerous, ball-bashing old lady mm. who comes away with inappropriate... You do, you do like ball-bashers. <clears throat> That's for another podcast. <laughs> so there's like half an hour of her best bits from 1999 all put together into one nice, superb clip. And our clips of the day were also added, uh, which were Tim and Sally making up, Hope throwing Bernie under the bus, and Faye's confession. We broke through 100 subscribers, but we still covet more. So if you haven't already done so, please head on to our YouTube channel, search for the Talk of the Street podcast, head over there, smash that subscribe button, and then smear a pungent ointment all over that notification bell. Kinky. And now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Gladiator Lunchbox as you subscribe to our YouTube channel. I just did. You're welcome. (laughs) I just realised I hadn't done that and it makes sense for me to be subscribed to my own YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Gladiator Lunchbox. (sighs) Was this that time that... um, What's his name? Was a guest star on Coronation Street and, and wore his loincloth with the leather thing over it and stuff that 
then got sold at auction and then donated to the, the one of the last blockbusters in Alaska. That's right. This was Michael making lunch for James and packing it in his gladiator lunchbox. <coughs> I was Gavin and you were back, bitches. Yes, I was. Why can't I think of that guy's name? Who starred in Gladiator? Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> no! Who was the actual gladiator in Gladiator? Who was the star? Not Joaquin, who did the thumbs down. The guy who smashed a guy at a hotel with his telephone that one time. Russell. Sir- yes, Russell Crowe. Great to say Russell Grant. <laughs> who was a, a chubby astrologer <clears throat> from the 1980s. <clears throat> who you don't want to see in a loincloth. Yeah. We chatted about how airports look haunted when they're empty of people. You announced that you needed to invest in travel bras, which I didn't know where I think. I still don't. And poof, just like that, Ray disappears, leaving Debbie to handle a bunch of angry Rebel Alliance members who want their houses back. The unlikely installation of Grace into Aggie's house is greenlit, a combination of a slightly tiresome commute to Hull for Michael and the chance to see her grandkid eventually being the factors that swing it. Gail's discovery of an old photo of her relative sets her on a genealogical path that leads to a potential new friend and requires her to say Fanny quite a lot. Yes. Jim and Chesney struggled to make rent while Sean had his sights set on a new place to live with Dylan. That's that never not a thing out. anymore. In an attempt to catch up on her uh, schoolwork, Asher studies in Roy's roles where Nina perpetual pleasantness doesn't go unnoticed. The discovery of a farewell note to Simon kickstarts a chain of events that triggers an old man being punched in a hotel, a handsome Irishman being disappointed, and maybe some salvation for Carla and Peter. Tracy has her eye on number eight. Ken forgets to take his meds, and George drains his spuds. Our moment of the week was Peter punching Ken, and our boring moment of the week was... What was his name? AJ? AJ? Was it AJ? He was talking about his piano. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Must have been boring because I have no recollection of who that is. He was the guy that worked on the helpline that Todd was going out with briefly. Oh, that's right. And he was playing the piano. Like Adji or something. Adji, I think it was Adji. Yeah. Shall we dive in, my dear? He was nice. I liked him. Or shall we dive in, my dear? Yeah. Our first story <laughs> in this morning is Leo the Lodger. Just a sigh for that one, okay? On Monday, Jenny is up early in the morning to fix her makeup, but lo and behold, the noise that she heard wasn't homeless Leo in the shower. Not what? homeless Leo. Single stew. No, it was Daisy. <laughs> and single Leo is in the kitchen making breakfast that he insists on delivering to Jenny in bed, much to her chagrin because she's not made up. What a fucking 1980s storyline is this shit? What the hell, Coronation Street? Seriously. I thought it was quite nice that she was making an effort. Oh, <clears> go <throat> fuck yourself. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> when was the last time I wore makeup? Uh, ooh, probably last summer? The wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss it? Well, that kind of irritates my skin a little bit, so... <laughs> In the Rovers, Jenny explains to Debbie about her plan to never let Leo see her without makeup. Debbie thinks it sounds like a hell of a fuss, and a passing Leo mentions that Jenny was looking dead sexy this morning, sans makeup, and the ladies coo. Carla comes into Rovers as Jenny is gushing on the phone to Leo, but not like that. 
Kate, says Carla. What about her? Asks Jenny. Apparently Princess fucking Kate has some money issues and it turns out Jenny hasn't sent off her share of Johnny's estate because she's too distracted getting poked off of Leo. Johnny's estate that, let's remember, Johnny didn't leave to Kate. Jenny said she was going to give some to Kate yeah, and, and to and Carla. Yeah, they do address that. Yeah. I'll send the money, snaps Jenny and then wind your neck and Carla reminds Jenny that Johnny's family used to be her family too. Sometime later, Carla comes back and apologises for her phrasing earlier. Jenny accepts the apology and admits that she should have done it sooner. Carla explains that she and Kate are still grieving her dad and Carla worries that her relationship with Leo isn't appropriate. Adam and Daniel, says Jenny. <laughs> so Carla leaves. Through the back of the rovers, Jenny is down Good in the dumps. You, Leo comes in a little stressed about finding new housemates to replace those appalling ones from last week. Jenny explains about Kate and being distracted. She realizes they're moving too fast and so she tries to get out of meeting his family. Fair enough, says Cinco Leo, but he looks upset or angry at this. I Aww. couldn't work out which. Probably just upset. Why would he be angry? Because I don't trust him. Well, there is that. I don't trust him either. I thought it was interesting that in the, the five things from last week that Mary Tart posted on the Coronation Street blog, that one of his things was yeah. those awful housemates as well. Yes. On Wednesday, Carla's words have lingered with Jenny overnight. She was supposed to go and stand in a freezing cold park to watch Cinco Leo play rugby again, but she tells Daisy she's cancelled and she's now thinking she might as well break up with him. So Daisy steals Jenny's phone to stop her. Daisy says it's bad enough seeing Daniel with Lydia and knowing that she can't have him. <coughs> and Jenny has this fit guy drooling all over her. <coughs> she wants to end it. It's not on. Then Jenny gets a call letting her know Leo's in an, an unconscious state in an ambulance after a rugby accident. So she rushes off to the hospital. I'm sure that happens an awful lot in rugby. Concussions and, and such. It's knocked out. Because there's a lot less padding than there is in football, and there's yeah. lots of concussions in the football. Right. American football, gridiron football. I, I, th I feel like I need to specify that. At the hospital, Jenny learns that Leo just needs a couple of stitches. Jenny takes a seat <laughs> and bumps into Teddy, an old admirer from high school. Do they really just have a book with just five names <laughs> for tertiary characters? Because we have a Ted and we have a Teddy. Right, we have... <laughs> Well, Ted's dead, so right, but that it's name's still, up for grabs, I guess. still we have a Ted and a Teddy in, in consecutive storylines that are going on at the same time. Yeah, concurrent. He gets out of coffee to have a catch-up, given how they're both there to see someone. Mm -hmm. And at this point, M. Night Shyamalan sticks his head into the shot and winks at the camera and then fucks off. And then Chekhov surreptitiously creeps in and drops a gun in Jenny's lap. Jenny and his Ted and this Teddy character get to having a lovely wee natter about how Teddy used to pitch a tent at the thought of Jenny at school, and he asks her out when Leo, who let's remember was knocked unconscious earlier today, comes out scratching his head, and both Jenny and Teddy greet him just as M Night Shyamalan comes back into the shot to explain the twist is that Teddy is Leo's dad. <laughs> That was my M. Night Shyamalan impression. Yeah, that sounds exactly like him. So for the next five minutes, while Jenny tries to go back in time, Cinco Leo and his dad are creepy as fuck together. Later, Leo was supposed to be staying with his dad after his concussion, but turns up with a carrier bag to the Rovers. Jenny wants to have a word with him later. Carla's there and she and Jenny clash a little bit. 
Carla is sorry that they had words, but admits to find it hard seeing her with Leo when she should be with Johnny. But she knows that Leo makes her happy, so she kind of gives her blessing. So through the back later, Jed admits to feeling insecure, but today has made her realise that single Leo means the world to Jenny. He feels the same way, and they're both ready for the next step, which gives Jenny an idea. Awful lot of next stepping this week. And her idea is for Leo to move in. Daisy is fine with this, but wonders what happened since that morning. Jenny says that she's decided to go with the moment. Daisy thinks that she's been at the inspirational podcast again, but gives her approval. She means us. Yeah. <laughs> Very inspirational. We are. So brimming with positivity. We are. In one of our other podcasts. Really? Spongebob? I don't know, Stella can get pretty nasty. <laughs> On Friday at the Rover, Cinco Leo heads off to work for a meeting, which leaves Ronnie to remark to Jenny how Leo is a good kid and see them look good together. She deserves some happiness, he says. That's very big of him. Well, he's yeah. getting his hole off of Debbie, so what right, does he yeah. care? Yeah, there was a lovely bit with, with him, with Ronnie and, and Debbie sitting at the table, you know, talking about how Jenny sneaks out to put makeup on. You know, and it's obvious... Oh, yeah. Ronnie has seen Debbie without her makeup and is still interested and thinks, as I do, that that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> oh, on Friday, other over, Cinco Leo heads off to work for a meeting, which, Le no, I've just said that. So Leo comes back from his urgent meeting in a foul mood. He's been made redundant due to the sinkhole shortage these days. <laughs> he reckons he'll have to move back home as he can't afford rent. Nonsense, says Jenny, it's fine. Daisy's in the background. It doesn't look fine to her. No. But Cinco Leo is now just plain old Leo. Did they forget where he works? Because he's sitting like a civil engineer or something. Yeah. So that's, that, that doesn't seem like something that would have lots of redundancies. Would civil engineering be affected by the pandemic? Absolutely. There's not so much money to plow into it, I guess. I don't know. It's all bullshit. It doesn't matter. Right, yes. Later <laughs> there is that. Later at the Rovers, Daisy tells Jenny that she's been invited to a holiday in Grand Canaria, but she can't afford it unless Jenny gives her a rent holiday. Jenny, of course, refuses with a scoff. Guess it depends on who you are then, says Daisy. Jenny thinks it's different and tells Daisy to shut her jabber. Then Leo overhears all of this. And so later he announces that he's taken a loan on from Terry to make sure that he can make rent, lest Daisy think that he's getting special treatment. None of this means that Daisy can go to Grand Canaria. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Oh, poor Daisy. <laughs> that's a shame. It is a shame. Because, Grand Canaria's nice. Because now, I've never been, now, you know, she'll be underfoot and continuing to mess up Daniel and Lydia's relationship. See, I got the idea that the B&B &B was just a single room that they'd made upstairs. I don't think they turned it into a kind of mini hotel. Well, that's kind of what a B&B &B is. Yeah, well, I just thought it was like a one room that they were using as a B&B. &B. Because didn't they say that, didn't they say that the last time it was getting used? Well, no, because Ronnie has a room there. Ronnie has a room there. Daisy has, Daisy a, room has there. a room there. Jenny has a room there. Now Leo has a room there. No, Leo is with Jenny. He doesn't have his own room. Then why is he paying rent? Because he needs to help with the fight. He can't live oh, off of there for free. 
I suppose, and it does make sense that Leo shares them with Jenny. Right. But I they don't know, do I just have, thought that because they're not married, you know. But I do think they have another room available there because Emma was going to move into it and Alina was going to move into it, remember? Mm-hmm. And Daisy didn't like that because then it would be too many, too, too many, much estrogen. Too many menstrual cycles. Sinking up. Yep. Mad dashes for the bathroom. Fucking show. <laughs> So what do we think about this one then? Are you trusting of Leo? I trust him less and less as as time goes on because it, it just it does feel a little convenient that all of a sudden he's been made redundant when he's lost his roommates and then he's gonna get this one roommate, but he can't have that roommate because that roommate has a snake. Yep. You know, it's it feels a little fishy. It does. Not snaky, but fishy. I really didn't like the way that the dad, Teddy, uh-huh. was kind of looking at his son and kind of nodding and looking at Jenny as if to say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wouldn't mind a bit of that. I've just asked your girlfriend out. Uh-huh. Just kind of creepiness between the two of them, I felt. No. No, no, I agree. One hundred. It was it. It reminded me. It reminded me of that time in hospital when a doctor referred to my dad as my husband. Yes. Yeah, which is just the grossest thing I could ever think of. Well, no offense, Dad. You're not my type. Buckle up your seatbelt. <laughs> when me and my mum were flying to Australia. <laughs> The woman that was sitting next to me was a French lady mm-hmm. who actually translated Stephen King novels into French. That was her job. Ooh la la! She thought that my mum was my girlfriend. Well, she's French, so this doctor had no excuse. Quite frankly, nothing they do surprises me. <laughs> so, And quite frankly, that's a much better interaction with a French person on an airplane than the last time I interacted with French people on an airplane. That's a story for another day. Ooh la la. Ooh la la, indeed. Is it the law? <laughs> I was just telling somebody the other day about our, our French people story from New Orleans. Oh, you did? Yeah. It's a good story. It is a good story. It's the, my second favorite thing that happened to us in New Orleans after after getting to see Nicolas Cage's tomb. Oh, see, I put watching the, the Harvest Moon. Was it the Harvest Moon? But there was a full there was a full blood moon on top of Ken's roof in the French Quarter over the Mississippi. Yeah, that was a moment. That was a moment. It's probably like number three. Anyway, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage's pyramid is number one, and the tour guide telling us about how he ran screaming from his mansion because it was haunted. Yeah, and refused to sleep there ever again because ghosts are real. Everybody, Nicholas Cage. Everybody. <laughs> Anything more to say about that one or shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on before I think of more Nicolas Cage stories. All right. So our next story on this one is Tim's mum about the house. Yay! I'm so happy she's back. <laughs> I'm so happy that that tune hasn't changed overnight. <laughs> Tim's mum's back. Woo! Yay! 
On Monday, Kev goes to see Tim in the hospital ahead of his operation, but it's Sally who Tim wants and needs, and he asks Kev to put in a good word with his ex-wife, who he's done nothing but disappoint decade after decade. Yeah, and Kev does his best Barbara Streisand impersonation by saying, Hello, gorgeous! To Tim. <laughs> Alright then. why do he call him gorgeous? Tim's mum gives Sally and Tim time, and she, I don't know. You've jumped Later, ahead there, dear. Yeah. Later, Sally comes in to visit Tim. She's still a bit subdued from last week, and then Tim's mum rushes in. Yet another person Tim didn't tell about his heart operation. <laughs> she and Sally gang up on Tim, who decides to just die and be done with it. <laughs> Tim's mum gives Sally and Tim some time, and she reiterates how let down she is by him. When Faye comes in and asks how they're getting on, Tim thinks that they're getting there. Then the police turn up at Sally's fancy new door and a passing fizz is kind enough to explain that she'll be at the hospital with her husband, mysteriously suggesting that it's got something to do with today's newspaper, which we don't find out about yet. Tim is more candid with Tim's mum later at the hospital. Get ready for me to swear some more. He's ready. (laughs) He's worried that she's not there with him and he's scared to tell her about how scared he is. He can barely admit it to himself. Outside in the waiting room. Which was lovely. Yeah. Kev tells Sally that Tim needs her. She thinks that he needs Peter or The Undertaker or Eileen or Adam or Aggie. (laughs) Kev says Tim is going under the knife thinking that his wife hates him. Meanwhile, there's been a cancellation in the operating theatre. In other words, someone's died. So he's been bumped up the list and they're ready in theatre for him now. But I need Sally, says Tim. Tough shit, says a burly orderly and he's whisked off. Right. So when Sally goes to see Tim, she's too late. No! The nurse who seems to recognise Sally from somewhere weirdly mentions where the toilets are if Sally gets caught short while she's waiting. Yes. Then Tim is in the operating theatre being put under and when he comes round, he swears he could see Sally wrestling with a police officer (laughs) kicking fuck out of a vending machine as she's dragged out of the hospital. Tim passes out into unconsciousness again. And he's still groggy as he's been uh, led back to his room and they pass the vending machine that looks like someone's given it a good kick in. Back in his room, Tim explains... And, and the, the orderly says, someone must have gotten very hangry. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Back in the room, Tim explains his dream to Tim's mum. Tim's mum changes the subject and tells him <laughs> to get some rest. Then in comes Faye, who also changes the subject before it's even started. In the waiting room, as a technician fixes a vending machine, Faye and Tim's mum agree that keeping Sally's arrest from Tim would be for the best, or he'll be on the way... Uh, to the station before anyone can stop him. And Kev is with Tim, who's getting pissed off with no one talking about Sally. He asks the passing orderly for a swatch at his newspaper, and despite Kev and Faye's protests, he learns that Sally is front-page news for pissing in the community garden at New Year. New Year's we, says the Gazette, which Mm. doesn't work. None of this works. This is so fucking stupid. Remember? Remember when we watched the New Year's episode and we're like, why is... Why is Sally peeing here when, when she has a perfectly good house, like two steps down? Correct. Right. It was for this. It was yes. for her to get arrested while Tim is under the knife. Three weeks have gone by. Three weeks have gone that. by. I'm just glad it meant something. And it's front page news that a woman peed in public who used to be the mayor. There you go. There's a public interest. And they use the actual picture and it's blown up. Russia is about to invade Ukraine. 
Omicron. Not, not in Weatherfield, it isn't. Omicron is still a thing. The prime minister doesn't know the difference between a party and a meeting at the office. And this is what the Weather Gazette decides is front page news. Do you follow Weather Gazette on Twitter? <laughs> I do. Because it tells you what's on the front page and it's nothing to do with Omicron. It's about no. the council and it's about planning permission. But this is this is this is not even council news. This is no. look, let's shame a woman for peeing in public oh, in a really fuzzy picture from three weeks ago. Oh, it is that. And it's just it's so and not only that, let's get the police to, you know, not go and just slip a fine under her door or something for something this trivial of a crime that hurts no one and probably helps the plants. Because you know Sally has a healthy diet. Well, no, not, not the one that's having to wash Tim's shoes, that's all I'm saying. Let's, let's drag a woman publicly from a hospital while her husband is under the knife for triple bypass surgery instead of maybe, oh, I don't know, waiting until that's done. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No, it makes no sense. This is not, she didn't murder anybody with her urine or urine, if if that's the way you say it. No, urine. (laughs) I'm not an animal. They make the point, though, that that she isn't arrested because she's peeing. She's... She's arrested because she started kicking fuck out a vending yes, machine. Yes, but she didn't start kicking the vending machine until the police said, you need to come with us to talk about this whole pee issue. She kicked it because she was refusing to leave the hospital, which is within her rights. She's well within her rights to say, yeah, that happened three weeks ago. I will come down to the station but right now, my husband is in surgery. Yeah, she's not exactly a flight risk at this point. No. Or a shite risk, if you prefer. I do not. The problem here that I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned. Well, I'm problem, still mid-rant, but go ahead. The problem is that the, the front page, which is awfully explicit, yeah. isn't mentioned in a week where there are workshops going on for consent about upskirting. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Let's post this picture of a woman peeing without her, you know, let's take a picture of a woman peeing without her consent and then let's publicly post it in the newspaper again without her consent, without, why did the newspaper not reach out to her and say, hey, we've got this. What is your comment? You know, what were you thinking? What were you doing? You'd think that the newspaper would be more thorough. But you're absolutely right. It's This whole fucking thing is just such a huge, massive shit burger of <laughs> stupidity that it just... Do you want fries we, with that? We, we have this really intense and touching story about, you know, health and relationships and the fear of death, and let's throw a pee joke in there. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Isn't this, this is, you know, I know there's been some discussion about the balance of, of humor and horror in, in soap operas lately. 
you know, and how and finding that balance. This is not that. <laughs> this is not that. What the, the hell? The sight of Sally kicking the vending machine as she's getting dragged away by the police mm-hmm. officer is amusing because it's Sally. But what has to happen to get us there is is, is ridiculous. And I really do think they're doing the upskirting storyline no service whatsoever by having Absolutely this in here not. Absolutely no, not. With nobody commenting on it. No. All we needed was a scene of Faye and Asha seeing the paper and thinking, well, what what makes this different from someone taking a photograph up summer skirt right. and sending it round the right. class yeah. to someone taking a photograph of Sally peeing right. and putting it on the front page of the paper? Right. No, instead, everybody who sees it thinks it's fucking hilarious. And ha, ha, ha. Oh, the mighty have fallen. Isn't it funny? Like, every single woman thinks this is hilarious. And not one of them stops to think about the last time they peed out in the open. Because every woman has had that moment. Maybe not, you know, in a community garden in the middle of the street where your house is two doors down on New Year's Eve. But every woman's done it. Not one of them is like, oh, my God, can you imagine if this happened to me? I think the closest we get to any sort of sympathy for for Sally, as far as is is, is concerned, Mm. is Maria. Yeah. In a little bit, which we will get to now. Right. Right, Rant over. No comments about anything else for the rest of the episode. (laughs) With the cat out of the bag, Faye and Tim's mum explained that she was arrested for resisting arrest and kicking a vending machine. Tim thought that he had a right to know. Like Sally had a right to know about your heart, hmm? Says mm-hmm. Tim's mum. Later, Tim is getting agitated about Sally telling Tim's mum he's never felt worse, but then Sally bursts in and Tim's mood lifts. He's okay now that she's here. Also, that picture in the newspaper, they've cut Tim out. Yeah. Sally explains that she got left let off with a caution. Someone must have leaked it to the press. Leak, says Beavis. <laughs> Leak, says Butthead. <laughs> Leak, says Tim. <laughs> I'm alive, he says. He's never loved anyone like he loves Sally. I've never loved anyone like I love you, my darling. Aww. But he couldn't face telling her. <laughs> then Tim does a wee and makes a doing a wee face. Are we okay, he asks. We're okay, says Sally. Then on Wednesday, Sally's in disguise as she ready to to head to see Tim at the hospital. She gets a call from the Beaver's Nook people who were supposed to be asking for her support or whatever in her campaign, but it doesn't appear to be good news. So Sally and Faye go to see Tim, who still has a goofy look on his face. Must be the drugs. Sally yes. announces that the Gazette aren't supporting her campaign either. She shouldn't be wanting them to support her no, campaign after what no, they've just done to her. after what they've just done to her. And now she's thinking of pulling out and, and all like that, that so she can support Tim. Faye thinks this is dirty tactics from her opposition. So Sally meets Maria and Devs and wants a chat and accuses her of leaking the photo of her doing a shite in the community garden. A pee. Maria denies all shite. knowledge and calls Sally filth. If you want to play dirty, says Sally, game on. And it must be another quiet news day because Sally's sending the Gazette a picture of Maria in a gas guzzle that is apparently newsworthy of column inches. Maria comes into Tim's room at the hospital and she and Sally decide that this is a great place to have an argument about it. Mm. Maria informs Sally that it was Councillor Cameron who leaked Sally's photo to the press as a revenge for her and Fergus ripping the piss out of him. Tim's mum comes along and reminds them that Tim isn't well and they both <laughs> shut up after Maria tells Sally to think of her family for once. 
and this gives Sally food for thought. And when she goes back to see Tim, she announces that she'll be withdrawing from the race to focus on him and concentrate on the family. The power suits will be mothballed, which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Tim will be spending his 50th birthday in the hospital, but what can Sally give him to make his day a special one? A. Some peace and quiet. B. Another magnetic pouch. C. Help with his peapot. Or D. All around the Milky Way. Pretty sure I chose the peapot, but I was very sad that a happy ending wasn't included as an option. The closest we get is a magnetic pouch. No, help with the peapot was kind of... Oh, I thought that was like emptying the peapot. No, no, that was... Need help with that, Tim? Do you need help putting your flaccid penis in a peapot so that you can pee? Because as you know, Medallion, you can't pee when you're erect. She uh, she said that to him, though. She said that to him. She didn't mean that, though, she, did she? Well, I thought she did. <laughs> You've got a dirty mind and anyway, don't understand how your penis works. Nobody voted for another magnetic pouch. Help with his peapot got 17.5%. Around the Milky Way, 265 and some peace and quiet, 55.6%. I'm wondering if people don't remember what the magnetic pouch was. Yeah, it was part of Sally's yeah, sexy games. Right, it? yeah, it was. But I think, I'm wondering if people didn't understand that that's what that was. No great loss. <laughs> On Friday, Sally has gone apeshit at the party accessory store for Tim's 50th, and she and Tim's mum argue over the appropriateness of the celebration given Tim's condition. My Tim is not a well man, she insists. Faye is stroppy from a different storyline, so tells everyone to take a fucking chill pill here. Let's go to the fucking hospital, have some fun, and then go home. Yeah, Oof. damn right, Faye. It's the only time I agree with her this week. Sally has balloons and party hats at Tim's bed. Tim's wearing a little blue hat and his wee baldy head. It's funny. <laughs> Tim's mum is still pissing all over uh, the ideas, <laughs> but Tim and his wee party hat looks quite happy. He does. Bless him. The party seems to have gone on all day, though. Faye has been a no-show because of another storyline. Tim apparently is getting home tomorrow. Didn't the <laughs> didn't the surgeon say he would be in hospital for three weeks? Two and, weeks, I thought it was. And then have to convalesce at home for like ten weeks. Twelve weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not. This is not that. No, we're bored with Tim being in hospital now, so he's getting he's getting home. And Tim's mum is worried that no one will be home to look after him. So she offers to move in. And Tim thinks that this is a great idea. Yes. And Sally... Does not. Does not. Because she's just finally gotten her house back. Right. (laughs) And that is as far as we get with that this week. I'm just glad Tim's mum is back. Yeah. Let's, Let's not let her go away again. She did say something kind of odd, though. That I haven't really mentioned, I don't think, in any of the storylines, because they talk about Faye's upcoming hearing right. about her parole and stuff. Right. And Tim's mum has paid for the lawyer. Right. And Sally makes a remark about, oh, mm-hmm. I hope she gets off given the amount of money that her bloody lawyers cost. Right. And Tim's mum's like, nah, it was must be dull money. Easy come, easy go. Right. I wonder if Tim's mum knows the bother that that caused. The, it, s- the selling off. It doesn't. Speed it doesn't seem like she does. It seems like Yasmin may have not implied 
how difficult that was going to be. Because that would be a total Yasmin thing to do, to keep. Does Tim's mum know that Speed Dial burnt down? Ish. She does, because remember, she was questioned about it off, off screen. That's right, off screen. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see Paula Wilcox back in the role of Tim's mum. A role that she's making her own. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and I'm glad that she's not. Because remember when she was staying with Yasmin? Mm-hmm. She was getting a little bit annoying. Mm-hmm. She's kind of going back to just being Tim's mum again. Yeah. I dare say we're going to see the annoying side of her next week because she and Sally are set to clash, it looks yes, like. Yes, absolutely. I like that, that she's grown out of the timidity that she had when we first met her. Yeah. She's really, you know, become a strong, independent woman at this point. Yeah. I, I'll be eager to see her join a thruple with Yasmin and Homeless Stew. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to see that? The fan fiction just writes itself. <laughs> it really does. It? it really does. Yeah. There were several moments during this where, you know, last week, the way that they, they ended it last week was you really were starting to think, could this be the end for Sally Tim and, and Sally? Tim. Because Sally was furious with him, and rightly so. Rightly so. And it kind of, it felt like it kind of got dealt with in the same way as the secret marriage kind of got dealt with, that Sally just kind of which is hilarious because she she does mention that. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but it does kind of feel like the whole arrest thing took the piss out of her a little bit. Yeah, you know because she's she's much more mellow after she gets back from that mellow, whole experience. Yep. I wasn't going to go there, but yep. sure. She had the the thought. As well from Kev that if Tim dies in the operating theatre thinking that his wife hates him. Yeah, that's not a good way to go out. No. Just kind of guilts Sally into forgiving him, really. Right, yeah. Stuff You Should Know had an episode about forgiveness this week, which was really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And the quote somebody, uh, I can't remember, I wish I knew who it was, or could remember who it was, but the quote that I really liked was, Forgiveness is giving up hope of changing the past. Ooh. Isn't that a great way of putting it? That's really interesting. Isn't I'll it? be thinking about that all day. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I, I was thinking about it all day yesterday Oof. after listening to the, the podcast. But yeah, but that's, you know, she has forgiven. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not sure, it, well, I think, you know, all the emotions were accelerated, as she explained last week, because now she can't, she has to rush to the strong Sally or the support of Sally because she can't be the angry Sally because it's not really appropriate. And, right. And he stole that from her. Yes. So she she is accelerating through the emotions, but when she gets to the point where she comes in and it's just the two of them, mm-hmm. that smile on Tim's face... Yeah, that was really delightful. ...just says it all. Yes. And when they have their little check to see that they're okay and they're okay and they're having a little chuckle about the the, the, pee and, mm-hmm. the peapot thing, it was kind of heartwarming. Uh-huh. And it kind of makes you forget that the things that happened leading up to it <coughs> don't make a huge amount of sense. No. Our next storyline this morning is Bernona non grata. Oh, well done. <laughs> Just bending the laws of space time to make that <laughs> to make that work 
On Monday, Bernie can barely walk after a session of beast sex with Dev. Dev wants to make the relationship official and suggests a speed dial dinner for the two families to break the news. Bernie gets home with a tablet for Joseph, which he says is second-hand from a mate. Ches demands to know where the cash came from to buy it. From work, snaps Bernie, and she invites them all to speed dial later. Fucking Chesney, man. Just say thank you. Oh, thank God. Now he'll be able to do his schoolwork. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your help. No, he's got to be a fucking asshole all the way through. Your uh, language this week is I been. fucking hate Chesney sometimes. Most of the time. This sparks more. Where did you get that money from questioning from Scrooge McChesney? <laughs> Fizz is speaking to a policeman about another storyline when a metric ton of sweeties falls from Hope's school bag onto the pavement. Fizz demands to know where they came from. Hope blames Tyrone and begs her not to say anything. Meanwhile, Bernie meets Paul at the builder's yard to invite him to speed down later. Paul is less than keen. He sees enough of the, his stinking family, but Bernie talks him into it by giving him a preview of her surprise. Mm-hmm. But not like that. Mm-hmm. Privately, then, Bernie has a word with Hope. She knows all about the plan and she's spoken to Clint. Are you threatening me? Asks Hope. Bernie tells her to stay away from Joseph and keep her mouth shut. No one needs to know nothing. Capiche? And Hope capiches. See, this was Bernie's first mistake. Is speaking to Hope. Right. And and letting Hope know that she knows. Yes. Because that, that was just signing her death knell right there. Maybe the second mistake. The second mistake was accepting Clint's offer. Well, the first mistake you mean. First mistake, yeah. Espidal yeah. Rio has thrown up on, on Adi. Dev takes to his feet and announces to Adi and Gemma that he and Bernie are a couple. Adi already knew because he'd seen Bernie sneak out of the house so many times. And then Dev and Bernie are deplorable at the table. Right. And Paul has not shown up. No. Nope. And Asha's Ch- not there. Chesney's not there. No, Chesney left with Cleo. Cleo. Yeah, to clean her up. So Chesney was. So Chesney was there, but, and they kind of explained Paul that they had to work or something. The family who could be bothered turning up have left, except for Addy. And Bernie asks if he wouldn't mind hanging out with Joseph for a wee bit, maybe have a play on the console just to boost Joseph's spirits. And Addy, of course, agrees. Because Addy is the most delightful character on this show. Right. At home, Joseph is happy as Larry playing Addy's console. He asks Bernie if he can use his hundred quid to buy a game for it. Bernie tells him he needs to stay quiet about that, but she'll try and sort it. No one can find out about any of this, and Joseph promises to keep his mouth shut. On Wednesday, Bernie has taken Joseph to Nina's Rolls for a special breakfast, and later, she softens them up further by giving him that video game he's been jabbering on about. Not a word to anyone, but Joseph looks sad and stressed about this already. Bernie drops Joseph off with Evelyn and Hope to go to school. Joseph explains about the treat they got from Bernie earlier, <clears throat> and now Hope and Ruby want a treat too. Evelyn tells him they can give Cerberus his warming medicine later. <laughs> on the quiet, Joseph explains that Bernie used his money to get him that video game he's been jabbering on about. Evelyn overhears this, though, and nabs a game all around the Milky Way. Joseph claims he borrowed it from a friend. The game is still in its cellophane, so Evelyn confiscates it. And she goes to see Chesney and shows him the game, worried that Joseph might be getting gifts from a dodgy character. Which is good thinking, actually, from Evelyn. In comes Bernie, who claims that Joseph actually found the game. Bullshit, says Evelyn. Now let's try the truth. Thinking on her feet, Bernie says she bought it. Ches blushed out about her raise from Dev, which immediately puts Evelyn's nose out of joint. Ches is also pissed that Bernie would spend her own money in a manner that she seems fit. Right, yeah. Fuck 
Fuck you, Chesney. Again. So Evelyn goes to shout at Dev about Bernie's race, which is, of course, news to Dev. Evelyn is ready to take this to the press, that uh, Bernie is getting a financial reward for... Sex. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because that's just... Is this, they would print that. They would print they that. Would it's, print just, that. it's just a gossip bag at this point, isn't it? If it's just come across trash. all of Joseph's garbage in the attic, she demands to know what Hope has been up to, and Hope immediately looks guilty, but says it wasn't my idea. Dev catches up with Bernie and Nina's rolls about the paradise nonsense. Hope is a smart, devious child. Why the hell did she not clean all that up? Right. Paul comes in and hears Bernie explain that she didn't want Gemma and Ches to feel bad about her chipping in more. Dev thinks this was a kind deed and lets it go, but Paul looks intrigued and wants to know what's going on. So Bernie explains it all to Paul, who doesn't appreciate being in on this awful scam. Well, all, he asked. All Bernie is doing is making sure Chesney and Gemma get some of this cash. So all of this drama culminates in a standoff in the street where Fizz and Evelyn stop Bernie and Dev and get Hope to air her explanation of why there were crisp wrappers in the loft. Bernie paid us to pretend that Joseph had gone missing and we hid him in the loft. And the saddest thing about all this was the look on Bernie's face, who seemed to recognise that this was always going to end this way, yeah. with her getting the blame. Yeah. Dev scoffs at this, warning Hope that these are very serious accusations, but Fizz thinks the empty crisp packets are evidence enough. Bernie says it had nothing to do with Joseph's disappearance, which is true. Fizz points out that the reward was her idea in the first place. Yikes. Fizz gets on the blower and calls the police. Dev thinks it might be for the best to clear this up once and for all. So Bernie comes clean, tells the whole story, throws Hope under the bus a bit, to which she maintains her innocence. Clint paid off the kids to keep quiet and gave Bernie, Bernie half the money to do likewise. Everyone, particularly Dev, is appalled. She did it for Chesney and Gemma, Bernie insists. They work every hour and it's never enough and no one cares. And I'm just like heart sorry for Bernie at this point. Because that's all true. And these people are looking at her like she's garbage because of this. They're telling her that she's garbage. Yeah. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it so much because she initially told Clint no. She was going to go to the police. And it was when she walked in and she saw... Gemma and Chesney just basically in tears and everything that she changed her mind. They're acting like she did all of this for herself and yet no one can point to something that she bought for herself, right. that she spent money on for herself. Exactly. She bought a game for the kid and she bought a tablet for the kid. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. It's dark and everyone is still standing around outside shouting at Bernie and now Chesney and Joseph have shown up. Bernie insists for the umpteenth time that she had nothing to do with it and nothing to do with Joseph going missing. She asks Joseph to confirm this, but a look from Hope keeps his mouth shut. The copper finally shows up and takes Bernie and Fizz down to the station. Right, yeah, because the police officer rightly says to Fizz, how did you not know there was a child living in your attic for three days? Yeah, and Fizz is like, oh, Back home She becomes She becomes beaker from, from the Muppets Very briefly Very briefly Later back home Fizz has been released by the cops She asks Hope to be certain That she's telling the truth Or Bernie's going to be in tons of trouble Hope sticks to her story Although she looks shifty When Evelyn mentions that Bernie might get the jail Yeah Bernie's also back from the cop shop And Chesney immediately jumps down her throat He tells her that he's not That she's not welcome here 
and doesn't let Gemma have her say no. about her own mum. Right. Bernie insists again that she had nothing to do with Joseph gone missing and blames Hope. Chesney tells her to get her shit together and fuck off for good. Right, and again, Gemma has no say in this. No. On Friday, <sighs> Bernie has kept on Paul's sofa, so Daniel's sofa then. Clinton has disappeared in his camper van off to solve mysteries in his mystery <laughs> machine. So Bernie, Bernie's only hope now to clear her name and get back into Dev's bed is for Hope or Joseph to spring a conscience and tell the truth. Meanwhile, Beth is at Dev's demanding her donation to Joseph's reward pack. Quite funny. She was like five quid, maybe. Yeah. Oh, and she's very poisonous about it. She is. And when Dev tells her to beat it, she accuses him of being in cahoots with Bernie, thus ensuring that Dev is in an awful mood for the next wee while. And this is kind of niggling away at him that people think that he's involved. Mm-hmm. Paul goes to see when Chesney. When he was the second highest donator to this. Right. Paul goes to see Chesney and he and Gemma make a case for Bernie. She was only thinking that the kids, Curtis is the real crook here and Hope knows more than she's letting on. Chesney doesn't want to hear it, although he agrees with at least part of it. Having Bernie living with them is like having a chimp around the house. It's all fun and games, but sooner or later, it's going to be throwing shite. Yeah, that chimp that pays for, you know, a good portion of the food and the the rent and the electricity and helps take care of the babies and takes the babies to the park and just bought bought a tablet for Joseph for school, which is something he needed for school. Yeah, that sounds like a fucking monkey to me, you fucking asshole, Chesney. Your language. (laughs) The show really fucking pissed me off this week. I can't help it. Yeah, Bernie puts in an awful lot more than she takes out. Seriously. Bernie comes into Dev's to explain herself that she was only looking out for her family, but he thinks that she used him to achieve that and took money under false pretenses. She says she's given the money back to him, but that just makes matters worse now and will confirm the street suspicions that he's somehow involved. He fires her and tells her to leave. Right, which, yay, great. I'm That's, surprised he hasn't fired her already. You know. So Fizz visits Chez and he floats the idea that Hope might be the ringleader of this, but Fizz won't hear a word of it. <laughs> it's all Bernie's fault and she should be arrested. Joseph comes down the stairs from his bath to announce that Bernie isn't to blame for any of this. None of this is her fault. So Joseph explains what really happened. Chess feels bad for accusing Bernie of orchestrating it, but Fizz refuses to believe it was Hope's idea of why she refuses to believe this, I'm not sure, and reckons Gemma put him up to it. Joseph insists it really was Hope what came up with a plan. Honest anti Fizz, says Joseph. Yes. No. It's, it's not It's not Grammy Bernie's fault. <laughs> oh, Grammy oh, Bernie. Oh, lovely. Oh. Why has nobody, why has nobody said anything to Tyrone yet? <laughs> Because that would clear things up right away with the whole, I didn't give her money for all this candy. Right. He's too busy being the fawns and interfering in other storylines <laughs> with the youngsters. <laughs> At home, Bernie's relieved that Joseph has told the truth. Bernie thinks this means that she can move back in with Gemma and Chesney, but Gemma points out that she's still not 100% in the clear here. And Bernie has a lot of making up to do with Ches. Bernie reckons that she's up for it. So Chesney comes home, unimpressed to see Bernie, Bernie and Gemma insist that Bernie is innocent. The investigation has been dropped. Chess thinks uh, Chess still thinks Bernie has caused a lot of suffering, but Gemma puts her foot down and tells Chesney to suck it up. Buttercup. That's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> I mean, you knew Hope was going to do that. Yeah. The second, the second Bernie like took Hope aside, and Hope felt like Bernie was threatening her. When when Bernie revealed that she knows the truth, 
it was always going to do this was always going to happen she should have not said anything to either one of those kids yeah you don't tell the devil that you can see him right exactly and hopes like well you've now just made the list bernie right yes (laughs) i was still shocked i was still shocked when hope just told an out and out lie right and threw all the blame onto bernie and everybody believed her. This is a child who basically committed arson and almost tried to murder her future stepmother yep. and step sibling. Yeah. This is nothing. But no, to her. no, no. We're going to believe this child as opposed to this woman who had only bought a video game and a tablet. And a tablet. She's not walking around with a bag full of candy suspiciously at all. No. So, but while I was shocked by it, I'm still somewhat pleased that they're sticking to this. That hope is an evil mastermind. Is an evil mastermind who will kill. Right. Yeah. There's still aspects of the story, though, that still feel very poverty porn to me. That oh, I'm definitely really uncomfortable with. Yeah. Like the whole like treating treating Bernie like she's murdered someone because she took money. From a from a dude who was the liar. She didn't lie to anybody. Well, she, she lied about where she got the money from. But everybody just immediately says that you did this for yourself. Even if you weren't responsible for him going missing. You know, it was your idea to do the whole reward thing anyway. Which everybody said, oh, that's, not, that's never a great idea. Because you'll get all these weirdos. Which sure enough happened. She didn't put a, the 29, she didn't leave the 29 grand on anybody's doorstep. And I mean, that's the big chunk of the reward that nobody knows who it belongs to, except Yasmin. Yeah. So everybody yeah. acting like this is, this is so horrifying that this, that this woman who has been breaking her back for her daughter and her grandchildren and her maybe soon to be someday in the future son-in-law, you know, she doesn't have to live there. She doesn't have to help them take care of those kids. No, no. And that is the look on her face when uh, Hope accuses her. Right. Is entirely that, is the look of, this wouldn't be happening if I wasn't poor. Right, exactly. This wouldn't be happening if Ches and Gemma weren't poor also. Right. This wouldn't be happening if the three of us we're earning more money. We're, right. find, we're finding another six hours in the day to somehow work another job. Right. And bring more money in that still wouldn't be enough. Right. This is a family where they're all constantly working as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Working in that kebab shop, that house must be stinking of garlic because all three of them work in it. Right. And that's the, that's the stamp of poverty on them. Right. And it's, and it's so sad. It really is. It really is. And it's just, your your heart breaks, breaks for them. Because you're right. Maybe now that Dev has fired her, she, because, wait, but she also works, she also works for Roy. For Roy. So she has two jobs. Yeah. Chesney just works at the kebab shop, right? Isn't he in the, yeah, he might be the chippy as well, but right, right. So she's not only there 
she's probably making more than the other two. She's making more than Gemma because Gemma's looking after the kids. She's right. getting child support, I guess, but but maybe not. Maybe they earn too much for it. I don't know. Maybe. Doesn't Gemma have Gemma works at the Gemma works for Jenny. Gemma works at the Rovers again, remember? Oh, she's back there. Well, she's working at the Rovers and at the kebab shop as well then. Right. Well, she's doing a few hours at the kebab shop. Right, yeah. So, first of all, it doesn't make sense that there's they no are point, this poor. There's no point where everyone in that house is asleep. Because right. somebody's working. And some somebody's point. taking care of babies. There's Mathematically, it doesn't make sense that they are this poor. Right. With all of them working so much. Unless Dev and Roy are both are paying poverty wages, which I kind of can see that maybe with Dev, but <gasps> I can't imagine Roy would no. pay poverty wages. And if, but if Dev is paying poverty wages, then Evelyn and Fizz would be just as poor. Right. Because, yes, they have fewer children. But still, it's just the two of them, and they each only have one job. Yeah, babies don't eat that much. All right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Daniel can explain. <laughs> on Monday, Daniel and Lydia run into Emma and Asha. Lydia gives the girls credit for their protest the other week. Never a dull moment away the high, says Amy. First you get done for sending summer love poetry, and then I protest against upskirting. The writers are having a ball. Daniel looks appalled. Oopsie, yes. says Amy, and Lydia looks made of questions. And Nina's rolls. Lydia quizzes Daniel whether or not he's a paedophile. He calls it a storm in a teacup, a misunderstanding from last year that he handled badly. Last year, Daniel? Or last month? Which was last year? Let's 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 hmm, be honest. Semantics. But still He explains it broadly, but Lydia looks unconvinced and leaves him to it. Yeah, he does not explain this very well at all. He does not say I was helping a student. He doesn't want to talk about it. Right. He just doesn't want but to talk about it. But if he explained it properly, which he's articulate enough to do, all of this gets nipped in the bud because he doesn't even explain that the love poems were by Elizabeth Barrett Browning and was for an assignment and not something that he wrote himself. Lydia meets with Sarah. He just says, I'm an English teacher. Lydia meets with Sarah in the pub and says that she's thinking about dumping Daniel because he's a pedo. Sarah sticks up for him and then Daisy is earwigging and she interrupts her conversation to insist how much of a good guy Daniel really is, albeit a bit of a fanny. Lydia goes to see Daniel and explains that two women have stuck up for him today. Do I know them? Asks Daniel. <laughs> she knows she should run a mile, but she's not going to. But if there's one hint of proper pedo behaviour, she's offski. Fair enough, says Daniel. Now let me show you this cardigan. <laughs> on Wednesday Daniel who doesn't work at the factory turns up at the factory looking for Lydia but apparently she's had to take Finn to the doctor as he has a dodgy veruca whatever the fuck that means Sarah quizzes him about the relationship he has Sarah and Daisy to thank for all the praises they've been singing him Daniel comes into the rovers to thank Daisy for putting in a good word he was sorry to hear that she and Ashley Fruit Juice split up and he wonders if she's missing his own sparkling wit it's a wart by the way she says oh, I don't know what veruca is but but I've had plenty of Verucas, but I don't know what a dodgy one is. <laughs> she says she is, just as Lydia comes in. She points out that Paul is out, Bernie's with Beth, and Finn has been kept in for observations for his foot complaint, so they head back to the flat for their hole. It's a word that tries to sell you drugs. <laughs> a Veruca? Oh, a dodgy Veruca. <laughs> in the flat, Lydia is curious to know what Daniel did to get dumped by Daisy. Daniel insists that he did the dumping. Did he? He did. Lydia thinks Daisy still fancies him, 
don't be daft, says Daniel, whose voice only breaks three times when he says it. Right. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Daniel bumps into Max and gets stuck in him for missing the consent seminar at school. Max could not give a solitary shit, says this was nothing to do with him. He didn't take the photo, so what he does with his spare time has nothing to do with Daniel. That's well, right. really, says Daniel in a huff, and he leaves. Daisy finds Daniel in the community garden. He's still lamenting the consent workshop thing and how most of the kids who show up aren't really the kids they need to reach. Daisy announces that she has tons of pervs and incels on her followers list because she's an influencer, remember? Right. And so offers to help him out with a post or, or something. Or just that she's a woman on the internet. <laughs> and they arrange to meet at Nina's roles later. Daniel is heading home when he bumps into Lydia. She's got them tickets for a poetry slam thing. Daniel explains, no can do. He's meeting Daisy to talk about social media and consent, but maybe he can catch up with her later. She says fine. She doesn't mean fine. After the meeting... She bought tickets? To a poetry slam. For a poetry slam. Tickets, please. Tickets, please. To hear poetry. Slammed. Right. After the meeting. Your poetry shouted at you with lots of arm waving. (laughs) Daniel thanks Daisy for her help, which he hopes will bring in more kids to this consent thing. Daniel tells her that he owes her a favour. How went my hole? She says, I'd better go, he says. (laughs) Daniel nabs David and Max and explains that Max missed the consent thing and it's really important that he goes to the next one. Max is all like, whatever, and is surprised when David takes Daniel's side and tells Max if he doesn't attend the stupid consent thing, he'll end up under the patio. I really liked this and I really liked the conversation that Max and Daniel had prior to this where where Max, they put into Max's mouth what a lot of young men say about about things like this. Right. You know, oh, well, I'm not the one who's doing it and I don't wear a skirt, so this has nothing to do with me. Right. Well, it does because you're a human being. Right. <laughs> you know. And you're not you're not telling the people who sent you this. Mm-hmm. You're not calling them out. Right. You're, you're not you're, you're not they're not doing anything to make it worse, but you're certainly not doing anything to make it better. Right. Yeah, you're just kind of chuckling and maybe eye rolling and deleting it. Right. And you're done. Other overs, Daniel seems to have completely forgotten about Lydia and is having a drink with Daisy. And then Lydia comes in to collect Daniel for the poetry slam, looking none too happy. And one yeah. has to wonder, every time one sees Lydia on screen, where is Finn? He's out with his Veruca. dodgy Veruca selling drugs. <laughs> He's out with his chiropodist. <laughs> and that's the end of that story. Remember Veruca <clears throat> Salt? Yeah, Charlie Chocolate Factory. Yes, and the band. So... Here we have Daniel and his little love triangle thing, mm-hmm. where I'm not sure that Lydia is as remotely where his heart is going. No. He seems far more, still far more into Daisy than he's into Lydia, but mm. Lydia is in the moment. and Right. And I think the Ashley Fruitjuice thing has been a bit of a warning for Daniel that even if he does go there, it's not going to last, so he no. may as well just hang out with Lydia for a while and see how that goes. Right. That basically it. <laughs> I don't know. He does seem to enjoy Lydia's company because Lydia likes books. She likes books. And she she likes, needs a book. And she goes to poetry slams and the theater. Buys tickets for poetry slams. I don't know why we're talking like this. Because we're those sort of people too. I have never bought a ticket for a poetry slam. <laughs> I think we've been to enough to, to add up to one ticket. I, I may have chucked a few bucks. In the basket as it's passed around, but I've never bought a ticket to a poetry slam. The consent seminar thing for Max, 
also seems to be a little bit of a reignition of the tensions between Daniel and Max. Yes. Dub- doubly so now that Daniel chose a moment where David was present to further chastise him about it. Well, yeah, I think it was important for David to be there and for for Max to be kind of shocked that his dad's like, no, you absolutely need to do this. This is important. This is absolutely important. Probably thinking about, oh, I don't know what Bethany went through, (laughs) (laughs) you know, no recognizing that women in his family have been assaulted and that it stops now or it should stop now. The tension between Daniel and Max though, I think, while it was sort of manly handshaking and move on with life, uh-huh. it does seem that if that is getting ignited again, then the ante has to be upped a little bit. Yeah. Kind of worry where that's going. Who knows? Down the Ken Barlow punching a student kind of route again. But then it feels like it's kind of old ground. It feels like we've done this mm. and we've been here. And or maybe Max is going to push Daniel down the stairs. But, but Max hasn't. Uh, doesn't seem to have learned any lessons here. It looked like he had, and he's still that kind of mouthy, kind of gobby bit he's of a He's still making bag. videos. Y- yikes. No, for like a competition or something. Yeah, that's why M. Night Shyamalan was in the, right. the, the storylines yes. so much this week. Yes. Chekhov was there for the poetry slam. Sure. You know the Russians, they love their poetry. Let's move on then to our next storyline this morning, which is Craig's rear end window. <laughs> on Monday at the young crew in oh, Tyrone's flat you know those old fashioned onesie pyjamas with the flap on the back mm-hmm. now all I can think of is Craig in one of those mm-hmm. thanks a lot is the flap open or closed well of course the flap is open is his body pink yes is it hairy no smooth are, as a baby's bottom we, are, we have the same image on our heads I, I fear <laughs> So, other young crew in Tyrone's flat, Faye announces that Craig is probably due an email from forensics today, and she asks Emma to borrow his tablet to intercept it. This makes no sense. In comes Craig, and after 20 questions, he agrees to lend his tablet to Emma so she can buy a yoga mat. Sure. <clears throat> but hardly any time has passed, and Craig needs his tablet back because he's been a dick, and then he gets a call from his forensics oh. mate. His mate lets him know that the chief wants to see Craig immediately dum 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 in my this mind is... I have the chief from Starsky and Hutch <laughs> who I think was called Doyle I think you're right it's this whole you know first of all it's just Faye having Emma use the tablet when she sleeps with the guy the tablet's probably in the room when she's as- when he's asleep. Mm-hmm. She couldn't just very easily just whoop whoop. She could just whoop whoop. Yeah. Whoop whoop. And then it's done. Instead of this whole, let's make Emma, who can't lie, let's remember, <laughs> be yeah. the awkward accomplice in this whole thing. And does do they only each have one piece of electronics a piece? Well, it's... Can can Craig not check his email on his telephone? Does he not have that app also on his smartphone? Is it just on his tablet because it's police news? I think when I said this makes no sense, this kind of covered that. 
Yeah. So Faye and Emma are like hens and hot girdles at the flat as Craig comes in and announces that he's been shouted at for wasting police time with the crutch fingerprint analysis. Oh, thank God. And I punched the air. Yes! Yes! Right? Oh, it's such a relief that, you know... Common sense. There's some common through. sense left at Wethy County Police Station, whatever. So you don't it's get called. The, so it's half police, half football team. <laughs> half police, half football team, half newspaper. It's man bear pig. It's the Wethy County Gazette Police Station. Come hospital. So you didn't get the results, Emma says, just to be sure. Craig says he's lucky to still have a job. This has been a fucking shocker of a day, says Craig, blind to the fact that Faye's dad has had a major heart operation in another storyline and Sally's in the paper with her knickers round her ankles again. Craig backpedals, <laughs> says that Tim's situation has put things into perspective and there'll be no more wacky investigations from now on. So on Wednesday, it's Craig's first day back at work after injuring his ankle. Faye very clumsily asks him to find out as much as he can about the dead dead case. Craig is reminded, apropos of nothing, that he needs to pay Tyrone the 20 quid he owes him from the crutch bet. Faye meets up with Emma in Nina's roles. Ted's funeral is tomorrow and Emma, who has lost her mind, wants to go and pay her <laughs> respects. Faye, though, thinks this means his body has been released so that investigation might be winding down. This sounds like good news. Emma does not look like it's good news. No. So Emma's still going on about Dead Ted's funeral when Craig comes home and within a minute reveals that Ted Ted Dead Ted's post-mortem has come through and he was definitely run over and his injuries probably gave him the blood clot that killed him. Now what's for tea? <laughs> Emma and Faye are sickened by this. But Faye is only because she thinks that she's going back to jail. Right. Emma thinks that they'll be able to put it behind them once the funeral is out of the way, but it doesn't sound like she believes a word that she's saying. No. On Friday, Craig leaves for work and Emma once again brings up the subject of Ted's funeral, with Faye, who has not changed her mind since the last time they spoke, still maintains that going to the funeral is ridiculously stupid, especially as her false nail is still down the plug hole or something. Emma, for some reason, has chosen today to wear her pink baseball cap. <laughs> Emma's checking the two full pages of obituaries in the Weather County Gazette hospital police force thing. <laughs> And gets talking to Tyrone, because Tyrone lives there too. Yes, he does. About how one of her clients has passed away. Tyrone, an agitator in the storyline for weeks, <laughs> encourages Emma to go along to the funeral after all, even though he's lost a fake nail down the plug hole or something. Faye is in Nina's roles complaining about all the storylines she's currently involved in to Michael when Craig breezes in, announces to the cafe and the general population that there's going to be a knee fit with the person the delivery driver saw at Ted's and it should be done by the end of the day. And then he leaves. Right, because... Um, the grandson has demanded it. Yeah, there's there's been agitation by the family. Which just reminds me of another odd thing about the whole Sally storyline. I'm sorry to go back, but somebody briefly mentions that the only reason the police are there is because the Gazette agitated for her to be arrested. Oh, really? Yeah, which I thought was, was an odd thing to... It was an odd detail mm -hmm. that I was just so angry about everything else that I forgot about. You seem about. to be quite angry about it. Yeah. I remember, I remember you, yeah. you sounded a little angry yeah. earlier. Feminism was set back by Coronation Street this week. What else is new? <laughs> back at the factory, Faye is trying to get a hold of Emma, but Michael, who was proving somewhat useful today, announces that he saw Emma heading to a funeral earlier, so probably has her phone switched off. Right, she was dressed all in black and he asked her where she was going, all dressed in black. 
she said to a Megadeth a, a, concert. A, a, a puppetry workshop? Well, Megadeth is what her dad was into, right? Iron Maiden. Oh, Iron Maiden. Sorry. Megadeth. <laughs> so and sure enough, Iron Maiden concert. That's where Emma is. She heads in last just before Billy starts the service. Of course, it's not Billy. It's not Billy. It snowed at some point. On the street, as Faye leaves a message on Emma's phone, but then Craig pops out of nowhere to show the EFIT photo on his phone. It's a dead ringer for Emma. It <laughs> but, is not. But Craig doesn't see it. Faye does, and she cracks. She admits that she and Emma were at Ted's flat, and she accidentally ran him over. No, he says something about, like, this isn't going to be helpful unless the perpetrator was like an alien from Venus or something, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Faye insists it was Which is also in the Milky Way. <laughs> It wasn't her fault. She just wanted to avoid prison. Craig tells her to tell him the truth to him. The truth right this minute. Right or now. Back, or back at the flat. Whichever, right now. Whichever works best for you. But right now. Meanwhile, Ted's grandson approaches Emma and asks how she knew Ted. She says that she helped him with his messages one time. And the two of them seem to hit it off. Which is not a lie. No. Ted's grandson wishes that he'd seen more of Ted in his final days. But Emma says Ted was always talking about him and was dead proud of him. Ted's grandson breaks down as Emma comforts him. And as they chat, Emma gets a text from Faye with the EFIT photograph and says, delete this message. So she tries to conceal her face as Ted's grandson wishes that he could get his hands on the piece of shit who ran Ted over and left him for dead and then vacuumed his flat and then signed for a parcel. You know what would have made all of this so much easier? If the show had remembered that we were in a pandemic and everybody was wearing masks this whole time. Right. The grandson leaves, hoping that he'll see Emma again soon. Oh, God, they're going to get in a relationship, aren't they? M. Night Shyamalan pops up out of a grave, winks at the camera, and then disappears again. And then Chekhov rises from the pew, (laughs) throws a gun at Emma's head, and then sinks into the ground. Yeah. So... Emma is going to go out with Ted's grandson until Ted's grandson finds that Emma has a terrible secret. And this is probably going to happen on their wedding day. (laughs) And then Emma's going to be heartbroken once again. The really horrifying thing about all of this is the whole detail about the cremation, I think. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention that. The fact that the police won't let them... You know, that Ted's wishes was to be cremated and I guess have his ashes combined with his wife's, but because the police may want to dig him up later. (laughs) Because an old man got knocked over. The police are not allowing them to... I would have fucking cremated my grandpa anyway. I would have been like the three kids in that David Tennant movie and put my grandpa, Billy Connolly, on a raft, dumped kerosene on him, Lit a match and then shoved him off to sea. That's what I would have done if I, I was. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. I think there's rules against that. Yes, there are. But they still did it in the what we did on our holidays, though. I'm not trying to downplay the fact that it's that you shouldn't run over old men, <laughs> or that running over old men is somehow just an inconvenience or a misdemeanor or hilarious i i, I get that it's important and, and i get and that an it's opportunity doubly important to make jokes about ginger, ginger snaps. nuts right i get it but the police investment of time into this and what they're proposing 
to do potentially many months from now seems overboard. Right. Yeah. Between this and arresting Sally for public urination, when all they have to go on is one very grainy photo taken at night, when photos can be doctored very easily. <laughs> but do, do they have nothing else to do? Oh, and then accusing Chesney of of plotting the the kidnapping of his own son for money because my, he's poor. My main concern is that they've mentioned this bloody nail down a plug hole like every five minutes, so that something must be coming from that. <laughs> you can't mention it this number of times and it just disappears. You can't. Back at the flat, Faye All of explains, this would have been solved if dead Ted had had a garbage disposal. <laughs> Back at the flat, Faye explains the whole sorry mess, or if he just looked where he was going, of how she killed Ted. Craig is in tears as he asks why she never called the police or an ambulance. Faye says that Ted begged them not to say anything because she, he was worried about getting put in a home. She claims that she was doing the right thing. They even went to go and check on him the next day, except he was dead. And this detail seems to make it worse for Craig, who tells <laughs> Faye that they need to go at the station now. Hang on a minute, says Faye. I'm not done here. Craig's face throughout this whole thing. Because Emma was over the limit, and Imran knows. And Craig's tears just won't stop flowing. About Emma being over the limit, not about away. the running over of dead Ted. Right. I, the they also didn't mention, I don't think, how they cleaned the flat like they murdered him. I think that's an important <laughs> detail as well. Yes. So Craig is crying in the community garden when David decides to check on him and talk about the Godfather part two. Craig doesn't want to talk about it or his problems. David reckons it's all Tim related and reckons Faye is due a break and leaves Craig to it. But they all do. Uh, yeah. But they both agree that Ben Price is delightful. So back at the flat, Faye gets stuck in Emma for going to the funeral like that's their main concern. Then Faye announces that she spilled her guts to Craig. Great, we're going to jail. No, you're not, says Craig. He's decided to become a bent copper and not tell anyone, even though being a proper copper is dead important to him in that. Thanks, says Faye. Is it? I know how much you like being a policeman. You haven't got a clue, says Craig. All uppity. And he storms off to his room. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I'm hoping this means that Craig and Faye are breaking up because he can't possibly stay with her, right? I mean, well, he, he's doing this at, kind of out of love for her because she's had such a bad year and she's already been in prison once. This is a line that the show is going to, to present a moral quandary for Craig. <laughs> that They've killed Ted. <laughs> Didn't they already give him a moral quandary about racism already this year? Yeah, he kind of failed that one, didn't he? He did. And he probably <laughs> continues to fail that one. <laughs> yeah, it's... So the question really was, can Craig's conscience... Now, let's remember, Craig's arrested his mum before. Right. So Craig has already put his career in front of relationships back when he was like just a liaison trainee kind of copper before he's like proper copper now. He's proper copper Craig now. So I'm not sure that his decision to overlook all of this could be made after a very brief conversation with David while he's sitting crying on the bench. It, it feels like he was already in this quandary and David just kind of 
sealed the deal a little bit. Either that Craig, or... like, if I send Faye back to prison, when am I ever going to get my hole again? That's Yes, that's it. Yeah, because, you know, that's more important to him than than his mother's love. Right. True. Different kinds of love. Right, yes. Thankfully. he. Well, can we really call what Craig and Faye have love? I think the show is insisting that we at least acknowledge that they're trying to make it that way. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not, though. It doesn't work. It it's, doesn't, no, it's never worked. It's never worked, and it's worked even less this week. Because, like, Faye doesn't even seem to really be all that bothered by Craig's sacrifice here. And Faye has turned into a bit of a nasty bit of work. She really is. Like the whole, you know, making Emma take the tablet and, and be mean to Emma about this whole thing. And, you know, she really, she really didn't need to add the Emma stuff to the story when she was telling Craig. I mean, yes, Imran knows that Emma was a little over the limit or he knew. Do you think Imran will remember that? He shouldn't. Remember that very brief thing that happened on the morning of New Year's Day? No, he shouldn't remember that. he was walking to somewhere else when he's got enough trouble of his own. Well, back then he thought that Abby was knocked up. Right, yeah. So he shouldn't really be remembering anything to do with us. No, no. And uh, I don't necessarily think that Emma would go to prison for that, necessarily, for, for that part. For the whole, because she may have been a little bit over the limit, but she was the passenger. And I know she was supposed to be like the responsible adult with Faye as Faye is learning how to drive. Right. But still, she wasn't the one behind the wheel. I guess at the worst, she might lose her license for right. six months or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But It's the whole not reporting an accident and then not reporting a death that's really going to put both of them. And it's unfortunate because Emma was the one who wanted to call the police and wanted to report both things. And damn you, Tim, because it was Tim's idea for Emma to help Faye to begin with. This is Emma's folly all over, Mm. is that she wrongly assumes that other people... Are as moral as she is. Have better ideas than she does. Yeah. Because she's listened to Faye throughout this. Yeah, and she shouldn't have. Emma wanted to report it right at the time. And that's the moment where you have to make that decision. Are you Mm -hmm. going to do the right thing or are you going to do the wrong thing? Right. And Faye talked her very quickly into doing the wrong thing. And once you've done that one wrong thing, all the things that happen after it. Right. You you really are... The die has been cast. You have to go down that particular route. Because now... I guess they could have said something when uh, Ted was found dead. Mm-hmm. But Faye's argument seemed to be, well, why would we be here? Why would we, why would we be checking on Ted? Mm-hmm. We'd have to tell that I've run. She's thinking about herself all right. the way through this. She's thinking of herself and not wanting to go back to prison. But you know what? She wouldn't have if they just reported it to begin with. Because Ted was still alive and could say... Yes, it was my fault. I wasn't watching where I was going. I was trying to pick up my ginger nuts. Right. You know, and everybody would have had a big laugh. Ted would have gone to the hospital. They would have found the blood clot and he'd be alive today. Right. Or more likely would have still died. Or be put into a home by his grandson. Right. But he'd still be alive, maybe. 
it, you know, it's just that's a whole the way that this whole thing is just snowballed mm-hmm. out of control to the point that now Craig is once again lying as a police officer. Just a terrible, terrible policeman. He's just the worst. First he lies for his colleague. Yep. And now he's lying for his girlfriend. After just wasting police time by getting him to run forensics on somebody's armpit. Right? Hmm. Do you think there really is going to be a Ted's grandson Emma romance coming up? Well, there's, there's that question. And then I think my other question is, Craig making this decision now would seem to suggest to me that he's going to change his mind later. Yes. Well, obviously that's going to happen because that's what happened in the whole racism story. Yeah. He changes his mind later. Do the wrong thing first, then change his mind and do the right thing. Right. And then I think his career as a policeman is over. Yes. Good. <laughs> and his relationship with Faye is over. Double good. good. Yes. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street then. Yes. What was your moment of the week? Uh, it's either Tim's face when Sally walks in. <laughs> right, that's up there. Or it's uh, Joseph telling the truth finally about about Bernie. Ooh. Those, you know, the way he runs down the stairs and says it wasn't Grammy Bernie's fault and stuff and how just upset he is. About the idea of her going to jail for this. Yeah. Tim's face, though. <laughs> I mean, you make a compelling argument for Joseph. In my mind, it's either Tim's wee face or it's Bernie's face when she's accused. Yeah, I just don't want that to be moment of the week because I feel so much for her. Right. And it's horrible that she had to go through that. And it's yeah. horrible the way people are treating her. I just, I hate it so much. I've come to really love Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's not perfect, but no. who amongst us is? No, exactly. Exactly. But here, I think her heart and her motive is completely in the in right, the right place. place. And that's And that's the thing, you know. Once upon a time, she would have totally taken that money from Clint. Oh, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. And, and not thought twice. Remember, she it did, not to bring urine up again, but she did sell Gemma's pee right. on the internet. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. So, so there's been so much growth in this character as opposed to the characters who are shouting at her. Yeah. You well, know. I don't know. I'm, it's Sophie's choice this week, I mm. think. It's, it's hilarious that in... A week when there's so many just horribly stupid things going on, we still have three things that could be moment of the week. Yeah. Mm. I really want to give it to Joseph because, you know, we've been saying for three weeks now that we'll give it to him next week (laughs) and then something else better pops up. I'm just worried that we're giving Joseph the moment of the week because we didn't give him the moment of the week two weeks ago I don't know if it really if that really is a moment of the week alright let's just give it to Tim's face <laughs> you don't look happy about it maybe next week Joseph yeah he's building up to it he's he an honorary moment of the week for the past month right let's yeah. face it but Tim's wee face when he and Sal make up is our 
Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Ah, uh, so much just made me angry, not bored. Um, I think we could all tell. <laughs> Was I that obvious? Yeah. Uh, Lydia telling Daniel that she got tickets to a poetry <laughs> slam. <laughs> I think it's Finn's Veruca. Because it's a, it's the a worst convenient way to get rid of the kid for the rest of the episode. Is a Veruca? Well... Words can be very painful. And it, maybe it's cancerous. <laughs> I'm Charlie from <laughs> it's, it's, Daily Mail. Now. It's Finn's Veruca. That's our boring moment of the week. Well, it's still Lydia Jason, so I'll accept it. All right. Shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, Su- please. Such fun we've had. All Such together. Fucking fun in this <laughs> fucking unbelievable fucking week. Fuck Chesney. Fuck Dev. Fuck the police. If you want to fuck the police, <laughs> then. Oh, do you know what? By all means. And you don't even have to tell us about it. But if you want to, we're the talk of the street gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me in hell on a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of Voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And Thank we will you. be back next week with more The Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.